I am super pumped to be here tonight bringing part two of Thank You Next. Matt kicked us off last week with an incredible message. Um, if you are here, my guess is you're still thinking about it, figuring out what to do with it because it was absolutely amazing. And tonight we are going to get to dive in to part two of that. Um, and so when I was in college, sitting in the seats that you're sitting in, like you, I was involved in a church. Um, I was involved in a uh, campus ministry on campus, which when I was thinking about that compared to what is happening here at the living room, like I, like I was blown away by it because when I uh, was involved in college ministry on my campus, if we had 20 to 30 people showing up, we thought it was a really, really amazing night. I would have never been able to fathom a room like this. Like we couldn't find more than 20 people who would be committed to showing up to something, to build community, to learn what it looked like to follow Jesus. And so the fact that this many of you think that it is worth it to show up on a Monday night where you're missing potentially doing homework, studying, you're missing just being able to hang out with your friends or just be able to chill out and binge on some Netflix. The, fi- the fact that this many of you think that this is worth it is absolutely incredible. Like I, I hope you guys know how rare you are and how amazing this is. And that we say all the time that we want this to be a home away from home. Uh, But the reality is we could do everything to create the environment. But if you guys didn't show up, it wouldn't be a home. Like you guys are what make this place what it is. And so just know, like you guys are amazing. And it just blows my mind that this many college students in the city of Atlanta would choose to invest their Monday nights in something like this. So it's incredible. So anyway, yeah, you can cheer for that. Cheer for yourselves. That's right. That's right. So when I was in college, in our college ministry, we often would always do a dating series as well. And I loved them. I thought they were great. I thought they were super helpful. Um, But there was always one problem. And it seemed to be that every time the dating series came around, I was single. And so it was really great information, but I was like, cool, I guess I'll just put this on hold for when I can maybe potentially use it in the future. And my favorite is when the pastor would say something like, hey, maybe some of you like need to take some time off dating. Like maybe you should consider like taking a year off dating. And I'd be like, bro, that's been my whole life. Like that's what I've been doing. Like, is there a place where I can like check the box and sign up to actually get a date? Like that's what would be helpful. And so my guess is that there's a lot of you in the room who are in a similar position. And so honestly, I just wanted to take a poll of the room. And I'm just curious to know first, how many of you in the room are in a relationship? Which this could get weird if you're like sitting near someone that you're like, oh, are we? Are we not? Did Dave and Dominique raise their hands by chance? Are they? No, not quite. Not yet. All right. So there's some of you. So I'm guessing you can figure out what this is going next. How many of you in the room are single? You're not in a relationship. That's right. Yeah. Okay, that that was like 90% of the room. I was expecting it to be a lot, but like that was like basically the entire room. And you probably thought walking in, you're one of the few in the room that was single. You're not. You are in good company. Actually, y'all could raise your hands again and just take a look around, you know, figure out some some prospects in the room, figure out who is here. That's right. Yeah. 
So I was sitting in your shoes in the same spot when I was in college, and maybe you've come in to this dating series, into this messages, and you're hoping that maybe by the end of it, it'll help you actually figure out how to get a date. Like you're like, I just need something to put to good use. I don't know if that's gonna happen or not. Maybe it will, and if it does, I hope that you now date better and healthier than you ever have in your life, but we can't guarantee that. And last week, Matt talked about how we should focus less on finding the one and more on becoming the one. And so the more that we have thought about this idea of dating, the more that we thought about probably for a lot of you in the room, the reality is that you're single. So it would be a miss if we didn't spend some time talking about that, which I know it's not like that great of a topic. You're like, oh man, like I don't really want to talk about this. And I get that. Because the reality for most of us is that we don't want to be single. Like we're not choosing to be single. Maybe some of you in the room are. Maybe some of you have just ended a bad or unhealthy relationship, which good for you if that's you. And you've decided, I just need some time to heal before I actually decide to start dating again. So you've chosen to be single. Maybe some of you in the room, you actually have chosen to take some time off dating. There's some other things in your life that you need to focus on, or you just need to reframe your thinking of dating. And so you've taken some time off, and so maybe you have chosen to be single. But those of you in the room who have chosen it, my guess is that you're not choosing to be single for long term, and you would like to be in control of when that season ends. Then my guess would be that for the majority of us in the room, we are not choosing to be single. We don't want to be single. And actually when it comes to singleness, we actually treat it like the plague, like we treat it like the flu, like we don't want to catch it. Like I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to be a part of it. And I guess is that some of us in the room, when we're single, we're miserable when we're single. Like we don't like hearing about our friends' relationships. We don't like seeing our friends happy in their relationships. We don't like hearing about your great dates because why would I wanna hear about how great somebody else's life is compared to my own? No, thank you, like not a fan of it. Maybe some of us in the room are complainers when we're single. We just complain about the fact that we're single and there isn't anyone good out there. And will I ever find anyone? Some of us in the room, we don't actually know how to be single. We just jump from one relationship to the next. Oh, okay, somebody heard that. Uh, It honestly doesn't matter who we're dating because being in a relationship, any relationship is better than being single. Some of us in the room when we're single, we play the pity party of like, what is wrong with me? Like, can't anyone see how great I am? Or if you're anything like I was, I was really good at pointing out all the things that were wrong with the person that I was interested in, the person that they were dating, like really good at pointing out all the reasons why he should not be dating her and why can he not just wake up and see that I'm the catch? Like, come on, get with it, right? (laughs) That's right. And some of us in the room, we, we avoid going certain places when we're single because it's not a lot of fun, mostly like family get togethers. Yeah, how many of you have ever been to a family get-together where your aunt, your grandma, your mom like brings up the relationship topic and asks you why you're single? And you're like, listen, I don't know. If I knew why I was single, I wouldn't be single. Like if I could figure this out, I would. But isn't the reality for most of us is that singleness is rarely something we desire. 
It's rarely something that we desire for ourselves. And because it's rarely something that we desire, it's rarely something that we see any good in. It's rarely something that we see any benefit in. And honestly, at the end of the day, singleness is a season that we want to escape. Like honestly, at the end of the day, singleness is a season that we want to escape. And if you feel that way, I don't blame you at all. Because the reality is we live in a culture that puts a lot of emphasis on our relationship status. And we live in a time where it is supposed to be easier than ever to be able to get a date and find your person. And so if that's not happening for you, then it feels like there is a problem. And honestly, if you've grown up in the church, there's probably another level of this. So if you've grown up in the church, you've probably felt some pressure or you have believed a lie that whether the church meant to or not, I think a lot of times we've started to believe the lie that our life doesn't actually begin until we get married, that it's actually this missing puzzle piece that we need to find in order for our life to really start, in order to be the person that we have been created to be. And so if you feel that way, I get it. And because of the pressures of the world, because of sometimes the pressure of the church, because of the culture that we live in, it's no wonder that singleness often tends to be a season that we just want to escape. And so tonight, my hope is that all of us in the room, we can begin to look at singleness from a different perspective, that maybe the season that a lot of us are finding ourselves in, that we could begin to view it from a different perspective. And so in order to do that tonight, we are going to look at just a portion of something that the Apostle Paul has written. And there is nobody better to look at when it comes to singleness than the Apostle Paul, because Paul was single for his entire life. And now Paul, a lot of you are like, oh no, please, Lord, that is not what I want. Now, Paul, he felt called to singleness. So there's probably a difference. For a lot of you in the room, you probably don't feel called to singleness. You probably are just finding yourself in a season of singleness right now. But Paul felt called to singleness. So his view on singleness is going to be the best one to look at because he has a perspective that a lot of us don't tend to have. And so we're gonna look at just a portion of something that Paul has written in order to gain a new perspective. So Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and this is what he says. Says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And he continues. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And so Paul is essentially saying the same thing over and over and over again in this portion of his writing. He's simply saying, hey, when you're in a relationship, when you're married, the reality is your interests are divided. Your interests are going to be divided and relationships are great. They're amazing. They're incredible. If you desire to be in a relationship, I hope that one day you are. But I think what we all also know to be true is that relationships can be distracting. And you know this is true because think about when you first start talking to someone. 
Like you're not quite in the like full on dating phase yet, but you've just started talking, you know, when you're like Snapchatting each other all the time, you're texting each other all the time, you're talking on the phone until 2 a.m., like you're back in middle school again. Like it is taking up so much of your time. You'll be sitting in class and all of a sudden you'll be realizing that you've been thinking about them, but you don't even know how long you've been thinking about them. You've just missed a whole portion of the lecture. Or you'll you'll start changing your schedule just to be able to like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just ran into you on campus, even though you totally did it on purpose. You're thinking about everything you're saying. You're thinking about everything that you're wearing. Like it is completely distracting. And then think about when you actually move into a relationship, like you're actually exclusive, you're dating. Then think about how distracting that is. It's starting to take up your time. You're like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I don't have any time to study. Some of you are like, I don't even have time for any of my other friends. I'm just full on focused on this relationship. You get distracted from studying. It starts taking up your weekend plans. Maybe it's long distance, so now you're traveling on the weekend to go see them. Maybe you're starting to get distracted with planning dates. Maybe you're getting distracted figuring out how you're gonna pay for all of these dates. Maybe you're now starting to think about the future, like it's taking up a lot of your brain space, it's taking up a lot of your mind, it honestly is distracting. And then at some point, if you're to move in to engagement, that is a whole new level of distracting because if you're the one planning the proposal, that is a whole thing in and of itself. Figure out how you're gonna pay for a ring and then you have to register for a wedding. Then you have to figure out where you're gonna live. Then you have to figure out how you're gonna mesh your life with somebody else's. And then there's just the whole wedding planning in general, which honestly, in that season, there isn't a lot of time for anything else. It's pretty distracting. And then if you get to the point of marriage, you're now actually figuring out how to build your life with somebody else's. You're figuring out how to share a house and share a bathroom. You're figuring out how to decorate a house with somebody else's opinion. You're figuring out in-laws, which is a whole thing in and of itself. You're figuring out holidays and how you're gonna spend them. And then eventually you're figuring out how to buy a house and kids and it's just more and more distracting. And none of those things are bad. They're not bad at all. In fact, they're really good things. A lot of you are like, bring it on. I will take all of those distractions, please. More than what I'm living in right now. But the reality is they're distractions. Relationships bring a whole new level of distractions with them. And so when it comes to that, Paul makes a final point, And this is what he says. This is how he wraps up this verse. He says, I'm saying this for your own good not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so Paul is saying this, hey, this is for your own good. As in, if you are single, it is not a cruel punishment. There's actually something good in it for you. And he's saying, hey, I'm not saying this to restrict you. I'm not saying this to hold you back from anything. He's saying, hey, I'm saying this so that you can live in undivided devotion to the Lord. So that you can actually, for a season, live distraction-free when it is just you. So our relationships and marriage, they're great, they're good. Again, if you desire that, I hope that it happens for you one day. But in a way, when you are in a relationship or when you end up married one day, there is a level of restrictions that come with it that do not exist when you are single. And think of it this way, you will never have more time, more energy, and more freedom than when you are single. You won't. And some of you are like, oh no, if this is the most time, energy, and freedom I have. But you really won't. 
You will never have more time, more energy, or more freedom than when you are single. Now, I am a newlywed. I just got married three months ago. Thank you. Thanks. So I am just now beginning to be on the other side of this. And I am telling you, marriage is incredible. There are so many amazing gifts in marriage. I love it. It's been the best. Like learning how to build your life with somebody else's, it's incredible. I mean, there are so many gifts of learning what it looks like to give unconditional love and receive unconditional love. It's amazing. I'm also learning that there is a massive commitment with being a wife. And that's the fact that every decision I make, there is somebody else on the other end of those decisions. So my finances, there is somebody else on the other end of my spending habits. The way that I choose to use my time, there is somebody else on the other end of that. I have to consider what it looks like to make sure that I'm being just as intentional with my husband as I am with my friends and my job and any other interests that I have. Any big life decision I make, I'm not just gonna pack my bags and move because there is somebody else attached to that decision. Every decision that I now make, there is somebody else on the other end of that. And if you are in a season of singleness, this will be the only time in your life when there is nobody else attached to the decisions that you are making. It's just you and that in and of itself is a gift. You can make big life decisions. You can figure things out. You can travel, you can go places. You can figure out who you were created to be with just you. And so often, so many of us, we miss the season that we're in, hoping for the season that's going to come. And more often than not, I think that is what happens when we are in our singleness, because for a lot of us, we miss the fact that there could actually even be anything good in our season of singleness at all. And so my hope tonight, honestly, is that we can begin to change our perspective I hope that you guys can begin to figure things out way sooner than I began to figure these things out. And I think that if we would change our perspective on our singleness, it would change the game on how we live. And I think that if we actually began to view it this way, that singleness is a season to embrace, not a season to escape, it would change the game. I think if we actually believe that our singleness was a time that we could leverage and embrace in, that this time could actually set us up really well for our next season, it would change the game on how we live. And now to be super honest and vulnerable and real, I heard messages like these when I was in college. I heard messages like these when I was in my young 20s. And honestly, it made me roll my eyes so hard. So I was like, I get it. Like, this is so Christian. Like, of course I'm supposed to embrace my singleness. Of course I'm supposed to live with undivided devotion to the Lord. Like, I get it. But in reality for me at the time, it felt like somebody was just trying to put a Band-Aid on the thing that I really desired and the thing that I really wanted. And as a young single adult, there was honestly nothing more annoying to me than a married person telling me how amazing it was to be single. Like, I was like, I feel like you're trying to convince me that there are incredible things in my life while dangling the very thing that I want in front of me. And so if that's you and that's how you feel, I 1000% get it. Like, I have been in your shoes. But there was a point in probably my mid-20s 
where it started to actually hit me really hard what it looked like to actually embrace my singleness. And it's when I was in a conversation with one of my friends and we were talking about being single. And honestly, we were probably like throwing the typical pity party of like, why doesn't anyone love me? Like, just choose me, like having one of those moments. And she told me in that conversation, she's like, hey, actually, I just heard someone talking about this. And they were talking about what it looks like to be single. And then the older that you are and still single, that you have a choice. And the choice is that you can either become bitter or you can become better. That in your season of singleness, you can either become bitter, you can become frustrated, you can become angry, you can become jealous of what everybody else has that you desire, or you can actually choose to become better. You can embrace and leverage your season of singleness to actually live better and to become a better person. And I took that and I thought about where I was at in life and I thought about the fact how my entire life I had always wanted to be a wife and mom, always. It had always been what I wanted to be. I thought I would get married young. I thought I would have children young. I don't feel like I'm old. I'm 29. I just got married. I told you guys that earlier. I still feel like that's young. I got married later in life than I thought that I would have with what I originally desired. And I thought about that when I was still single, wasn't even dating my now husband, thinking about where I was at in life and what I truly desired, what I wanted in life. And I thought about, you know what? I could potentially be whatever age down the road, married with kids. And I could look back on my life and realize that I wasted it because I was just frustrated and I wasn't content and I was just hoping for this season that I was hoping would come. Or at some point, potentially down the road, I could be whatever age, married with kids, and I could look back on my life and I could realize that I lived fully in every season that I was in. And I was like, you know what? That's what I want. Like, that's the life that I want to live. I want to be able to get to whatever point in my life and look back and realize that I lived fully in every single season I was in, embracing the one I was in, still desiring marriage, still desiring kids, but not just hoping for it to come, fully living where I was at. And I thought, if I do that, then I think that I will live a better life. And I think ultimately, if I do that, I'm going to become a better person. And so that's what I did. I made a conscious decision that I was going to live fully in every season that God had me in. And so when I thought about the things that I did, the things that I did well, the things that I didn't do well, the things that I wish I would have done better, I thought about three things. And I think there are three things that honestly, whether or not you are single, I think that everyone should do these, but especially if you're single. I think that if you were to do these three things, it would change the way that you live. I think it would help you to leverage and embrace your season of singleness rather than just trying to escape it. And I think that it would help you live a better life and I think it would help you to become a better person. So the first thing that I think you should do is invest in God. Take the time to invest in your relationship with God. Take time to spend time with the one who will know you better than anyone else ever will. Take the time to figure out how he has wired you. Take the time to figure out what lights you up. Take the time to figure out who he has created you to be without anybody else on the other side of you. And what I can promise you is that if you chase after the heart of God, it will always take you to a far better place than if you were to ever chase after a person. 
So if you are gonna chase after a person or you're gonna chase after a relationship, it's never gonna actually leave you fulfilled. It's never gonna leave you satisfied. It's never gonna take you where you really want to go. But if you will chase after the heart of God, it will always take you to the place where you are thinking, man, this is immeasurably more than I could have ever imagined. So the first thing you should do is invest in God. The second thing you should do is invest in others. Take the time to invest in something bigger than yourself. I mean, we said earlier that you will never have more time, more energy or freedom than you have when you are single. So use it, embrace it and leverage it to invest in others. I mean, Jesus tells us that when we choose to give our life away, that we will actually find life. But if we choose to hoard our lives to ourselves, we won't actually find life at all. And so think about it this way. For those of you who are in small groups here at The Living Room, you have small group leaders who have chosen to invest the little bit of free time they have to show up on Monday nights and to invest in you. And if you're in a small group, you are probably building a relationship with your small group leader, you're building a relationship with other people in your small group, and those relationships are going to last far beyond the time that you are just in your small group. And chances are that you're probably growing, you're learning, you're making connections, things are clicking for you. And so you are experiencing the benefit of what it looks like to sit in a small group. But the really cool thing that's happening with your small group leaders is that when you succeed, when you start to figure things out, when things click for you, when you make big decisions, when you chase your dreams, they rejoice with you. And I guarantee you that if you were to ask your small group leader what it's like to lead, they would tell you that watching you succeed and win at life brings them far more joy than if they were to ever just choose to live their life for themselves. All right, that's good. That's a good song. There we go. (laughs) So while you have the time, choose to give your life away because I'm telling you that you will find far more joy in choosing to give your life away than if you would have chose to just keep it for yourself. And the last thing that I think you should do is that you actually should invest in yourself as well, which I know sounds contradictory because we just talked about choosing to invest in others, but I don't mean the selfish, like treat yourself, invest in yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about take the time to figure out you. Take the time to figure out the ugly, messy parts of your life, the parts of your life that will become magnified when you are in a relationship but it's those parts of our lives that we tend to ignore. So do the hard work, find a mentor, go to counseling, learn what it looks like to love yourself as you are. Don't wait for someone to come along to tell you the things that you don't believe are true about yourself. Actually figure out how to believe them about yourself now. Figure out what it looks like to love yourself as you are, to believe that you're enough, to believe that you have something to offer. Do the hard work now to figure out you. And what I can't promise you is that I can't promise you that God has a relationship or has a marriage down the road for you. I can't promise that. That was something that I had to come to terms with myself, that God didn't promise me that. And so when you begin to figure out you, don't do it with the hopes of becoming more attractive to someone else to ultimately get the thing that you desire. Do it to become the healthiest and the best version of who God has created you to be for you. And when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, these were the three things that Paul did. 
Paul was so invested in seeking after the heart of God, he devoted his life to it. Paul's entire life was given away to serving others. And if you look at throughout Paul's writings and teachings, it is clear that Paul was committed to growing and learning himself. And Paul became the most successful missionary that there ever was. We're sitting in this room in large part because of what Paul went out and did. And he did more in half of his life than probably most of us will do in our entire life. And I don't know if that would have happened if Paul had ended up being married. Maybe, maybe not. There's a good chance that his priorities would have changed if a family had come along. And so Paul leaned into his calling. He leaned into embracing and leveraging his season of singleness and God used it in incredible ways, like to the point where we're sitting in this room because of what Paul did. And so for you, maybe you're not called to a life of singleness. Maybe you have just found yourself in a season of singleness right now. And if that's you, then really the question for all of us is the same. It says, how can you leverage and embrace your singleness rather than trying to escape it? How can you leverage and embrace your singleness than rather than trying to escape it? Because if we look at Paul's life, what we know is that if you will choose to leverage and embrace it, God will use it for incredible things. And I truly believe that if you figure out how to begin to leverage and embrace it, it will not only help you to live a better life, but it will help you to become a better person. So start there. Figure out what it looks like to invest in God. Figure out what it looks like to invest in others. Figure out what it looks like to invest in yourself and ultimately figure out what it looks like to leverage and embrace the season that God has you in right now. I would love to pray for us and then you guys can head out. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And Father, I thank you that you don't make mistakes. That where we are, the season that you have in us, the place that we're at right now, it is not by accident. And so God, the season that you have us in right now, God, whether that's singleness, whether it's something else, God, I pray that no matter where we are, that we would figure out what it looks like to leverage and embrace where you have us right now. And God, I pray that you would show us what it looks like to fully invest in you what it looks like to invest in others and what it looks like to truly invest in ourselves. And God, if we did that, then we would become the kind of people that you have created us to be. So Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.